The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hello, friends, and welcome again to Afternoons with Mike right here on the Shepherd Radio Network on a very important day, the eve of the midterm elections. And there's really nobody that I would rather kick off this program with today then my friend Dave Zanotti from the Public Square. He is regularly a part of this program, and it's great to have him here today. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks, Mike. You know, this is a, a big one, isn't it? Uh, they're all big, and um, they all fit. And in the time of transition that America's in right now, um, the elections feel uh, really big. Because everywhere we turn, we're at transitional times in the, the, the shape of our nation and in the future of our country. I like an America right now, Mike, to an adolescent. We're not a very old nation, if you really think about it, uh, compared to many that have been around for thousand years. I mean, look at Great Britain, how long they've been here since the fall of the Roman Empire and how the history of Great Britain is. They're an old country compared to us. We're, we're just a kid. And uh, right now, America is having a very typical adolescent behavior problem. Uh, we're, we're pitching a temper tantrum against reality, like most teenagers do. And there's a very strong movement in our country to throw out everything that makes America what America is. That basically throw out our history, throw out our founding documents, throw out um, the actual recorded uh, realities of what happened and why it happened and what it meant. They're, they're right there in front of us. They're, they're hanging on the wall. They're in plain English. And there's an attempt to make uh, a radical transformation in our country and change America into something it was never designed to be. Now, this is not a conspiracy. It's been happening in plain sight since 1900. And it's been particularly amplified in the last several administrations, particularly with the Obama administration. Barack Obama made no apologies and, and was very transparent in that his goal was to radically transform America as we know it. And the Biden administration has been going forward with that very same agenda of radical transformation for our country. So all of that makes federal elections and state elections incredibly important because we are having, as Joe Biden rightly discerns, a battle over the soul, or in essence, the conscience, the understanding of America. You know, that conscience seemingly has, uh, if you believe what you hear, and, and I, I go back, Dave, to uh, something I learned in college. One of our communications instructors told us to never believe what you hear and believe only a third of what you see. <laughs> so I, I think there's some wisdom in that, but there's many that would say the conscience of America has changed. And they're saying that in the face of over half of the country, at least half uh, of the country that would differ, that would say, no, we haven't changed. Fundamentally, we still believe what the founders had for this country and in its uh, original documents. But they're trying to reform and reshape our conscience, right? Well, and the difficult thing, Mike, is that we don't have any honest analysis 
of what people really believe about the core understandings of what America is. Now, we know what we've been taught in school, and many people have been taught a false history, a false narrative about America. And we know we have a group of giant corporations that dominate all forms of media, both traditional media, print, radio, television, and social media. And they are perpetually messaging us with what they want us to think America is or should be. Mm -hmm. But there's not really been a, a citizenship test, so to speak. If all Americans had to take the basic citizenship test that you take to get into this country and to become a citizen, uh, it'd be very interesting to see how we did with our results. Um, it's been a long time since we've had a very sincere, nonpartisan, historical context, conversation about what is America and why does that matter to me. So you've got a good percentage of our country having a temper tantrum, but that doesn't change reality. It just makes things messy for a while. And this is what happens. Now, we're surrounded by reality. The very issues that brought America to be are not going to disappear. But when you're in the midst of a temper tantrum, a lot of furniture gets broken and a lot of people can get hurt. That is a very helpful metaphor that you're giving us about the age of our country and liking it to uh, adolescence. You know, one thing that we saw, those of us that are now uh, the boomers that are aging, uh, as I am aging, uh, we were that generation that uh, fought against the, quote, establishment. I mean, that that temper tantrum when we were in our teens was well-known, well-documented. And here's the deal. Later on, well-reversed in what we believed. And, and that is a temptation, I think, to a, a lot of people who say they'll never think a certain way. They'll never look a certain direction. But then as they mature, they change, they soften. Do you think that's going to happen in this country? Yeah, Mike, I think you bring up a good point. If you analyze what happened in the 60s and the 70s, which was commonly considered the anti-war movement, you had the kids of the World War II generation who grew up with parents who just wanted them to have everything that they had to sacrifice during the war. They, they, they wanted them to have everything that was possible, every opportunity. They wanted them to build the best America because their parents had gone out and fight and watched others die for that America. Well, um, we grew up, uh, entitled in basically brats. We, uh, we grew up in a world that was dominated by materialism and by academic gain. And people got to a certain point and they said, you know what, this, we don't like this anymore. And they, they went through a period of adolescent rebellion against reality. It was manifested in the anti-war movement, but it was also a big part of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll movement. And that movement split in a number of ways. Um, part of that group went, was surrounded by reality, realized that mom and dad aren't going to pay for everything. And if you're going to be a rebellious hippie, you're going to have to make it on your own. And they went out and got jobs and grew up. A part of that organ, uh, of that movement also experienced extraordinary spiritual renewal in the Jesus movement, the charismatic movement. Uh, and, and they came forward into a newfound faith that they had never had before and rejected the blatant secular materialism that they were taught in school. And many of those people are still out there changing the world today in mission and ministry. And then a small portion of those rebels following the Saul Alinsky, Hillary Clinton line of, of, of thinking actually went back into the establishment. They were rebels against the establishment. They went back in and realized 
we can revolutionize from the inside out. And they followed Alinsky's advice and they become high, became highly political. And they today are the radical progressive leadership of the Democrat Party. And that's where they came from. They came from that era. So the country split in, in, in that movement split in several directions. Ultimately, always, because adolescence is ultimately surrounded by reality. Yes, things will change. Uh, people do have to make decisions based uh, upon rational uh, reality. That's such a great thought, uh, realizing the fact that that revival that came around, the Jesus movement, it did make an impact. And I love how you said it, that those people that were affected in the 60s and 70s, and some of those people I was privileged to be, be a part of witnessing to. There was a young man that we witnessed to, and in the, the Jesus movement, had long hair down almost to his waist. And we asked him, Dave, do you know Jesus? Have you ever known Jesus? And he goes, know him. I live with him. And there was a guy apparently named Jesus that, that or called himself Jesus that, that was able to do some pretty dark things. And this guy thought he knew Jesus and we presented the gospel. Uh, this man received the gospel, got baptized and went on to live his life for the Lord. And it, it's just incredible to realize the impact that a revival like the Jesus movement, oh God, bring us another one, right? Well, if you think about the impact of the Calvary Chapel congregations across America today, that all began in one little tiny church in California where a bunch of people showed up one day who had met Jesus and said, we could use some help. And Chuck Smith responded to that window of opportunity. Uh, and there were moments like that have, that have been replicated all over the United States of America. Yeah, we, we, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need Christians to respond the way people like Chuck Smith responded by saying, when God's moving, I'm not going to analyze it. I'm going to get involved. Boy, we do need to get involved. Dave Zanotti is who I'm talking to today. If you just tuned in, Dave is the president of the American Policy Roundtable and host of The Public Square. And one of the things that you guys have done that's been so helpful to so many people is that your work in producing iVoters.com. Uh, let's talk about that for the remainder of this segment, if you will, Dave. Tell me what, sure. uh, for someone that doesn't know, someone maybe that has not yet uh, taken part in early voting, they're going to vote on Tuesday, what and how should they be looking at on that website? Well, iVoters has got a couple of different taglines, but one of our favorites is that voting is elementary. In other words, it's something we should have learned about in the second, third, and fourth grade, and it should just be a part of our every day, every year, every two years, every four years routine as being Americans. It's elementary. Voting is what Americans do. Now, it gets complicated because sometimes your ballot can be three or four pages long, and that becomes a deterrent to people. Not because we're necessarily lazy, but because we don't want to make a mistake. We don't like going somewhere where we find out we haven't got our homework done, particularly if there are significant consequences in regards to public policy, taxation, and other things. iVoters is a resource that can easily be uh, checked out. All you have to do is go to the website, iVoters.com and find out some of those uh, maybe answers that you're looking for. Well, we make it simple, Mike. We really do. 
Um, it, you go on, all you do is put in your address, a ballot will come up that will show you the candidates that you'll be facing on election day. Right there is the major victory. You don't have to go through 500 pieces of mail and figure out what, what's this and who's that and what am I voting on. You'll actually have the races pop up right in front of you. And then you can examine these candidates with a couple of additional clicks and get a pretty good read on where they're coming from, what they believe and what they're promising. And therein, you can make a couple of check marks. You walk in with your notes already made. Everybody's jealous of you because you go in, you vote. It takes you about four or five minutes because you've got all your decisions made in advance. Boy, that is so good. And that's exactly what we do. We go through uh, our, our little proposed ballot based on the research that is available on iVoters and a few other sites as well. And find out information about these candidates that you might otherwise not know right off the top of your head. And we can be guaranteed of one thing, that we're not going to get the whole story from the American news media. They're not giving it to us. So <laughs> that is, uh, you're going to have to, friends, you're going to have to do a little bit of research like this and take advantage of spots like iVoters.com in order to make, I believe, the well-informed and the uh, educated uh, decision that I believe all of us should take. Voting is something that is a gift, isn't it? I mean, it's something we shouldn't take for granted. And I'm so concerned that so many people act like still to this day that their vote doesn't matter. And that could not be farther from the truth. Well, voting is a duty. Uh, When the people that put America together built our form of a federal government, and then the states, of course, had already put together their forms of government, there was kind of a an agreement on the idea that the power of our country had to remain with the people. That's where our constitution begins with the words, we the people. Almost every state constitution has has some form of that language at its very beginning. And if the power is going to begin with and remain with the people, then the people exercise that power through the franchise or through voting. This is critical. This is a critical transaction. It's not just a, it's not like, you know, American Idol. It's not text something about your favorite song or your favorite performer. Uh, This is something that is actually a sacred duty and a trust because the accountability of our system is, is built within the context of voting. If people that go to public office get lost in the party structure, they get lost in the power games, they get lost in any way you can imagine, the people have to bring them home because they're sent there to represent us. So voting is a sacred duty and a trust. And if we don't vote, we basically empower outside agencies to capture that House district or Senate district or governor's office and to use it for their purposes because we have failed to exercise our responsible duty to hold elected officials accountable to represent the people who put them there. I think there's not anything more critical to the furtherance of this great country that we live in. And we so appreciate all the founders hard work that they did back then. But uh, it is so important that we get out there, that we vote. It's not too late. Uh, Early voting in our area has ended, but you can still vote on Tuesday, which is the traditional day, the, the right day to do that if you will, in some people's minds. <laughs> I don't know how, how all that's going to work out this year, but I uh, know that it's going to be a big day at the polls. And uh, before we take a break, I'd love to your thoughts about what, how important are the poll watchers, those people that have 
said, I want to be involved in this process and I want to look over to make sure voter election integrity is there. How important do you think that is, man? Well, I think the most important part is the fact that we have poll workers. The precinct concept of us going to vote in our neighborhoods where people know us and we know them, and our neighbors are willing to give up some of their very precious time for just a a tiny little stipend to come in and give a couple of days of trading and then all that day's work to, to monitor this process. That's a gift, and that's the basic point of our accountability. Um, Those are some of the greatest people in the world. Nobody should go to a voting precinct with a chip on their shoulder because they're being served by their neighbors. We should be there to bless the people that are working there. And we should make sure we've got our homework done and we get our work done and we get out of the way so other people can come in and do the same. Our voting system works when we affirm it and we respect it and we offer ourselves as servants in that process. Uh, It's set up to be bottom-up, driven from the, the local on up. And I mean, after all, Mike, as far as people are afraid about uh, voter fraud and all that stuff, we, we go to the moon regularly in the United States of America. Don't tell me we can't count votes at the precinct level and get it right. Well, that's right. You think about the, the, all of the things that should have been done and could have been done in the past. I, I'm praying that those, those uh, scenarios will be worked out and that we will all uh, take part, that no one in our listening audience will stay at home because of either disappointment in the past election results or disappointment in what they think they heard about voter integrity. Friends, don't stay home. Get involved and go vote if you haven't already done that. My guest is Dave Zanotti. I'll be back one more segment with him. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study an evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. I'm here with Dave Zanotti, and Dave is the host of The Public Square. We get to hear him regularly on The Shepherd uh, a couple of times every day, and it is so important, and I believe his voice is so needed in this country. And Dave, thank you for 40, couple of, what, 42, 43 years? Yeah, it's getting up there, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy, man. You know, you were talking earlier about uh, you, you've gone about adolescence and our country being kind of a teenager. And when we compare ourselves to Great Britain or, or other countries, we are a young nation and we've gone through some of those temper tantrums and I'm praying that we can mature. But boy, after looking at America through the lens of a biblical worldview for 42 years, uh, I know that God has shown you much, uh, through th- this experience. So, it's so great to have you with us today on this eve. And Dave, when we look at uh, the midterms, again, we go back. It's an important one. There are some races that are out there in the Senate and, of course, in the, the uh, U.S. Congress, uh, the House of Representatives as well. And many believe the House is a sure thing to switch over uh, in terms of majority. And some believe the Senate may well do that as well. Uh, just generally speaking, I know you're not Republican or Democrat. We've t- that's well documented. You're an independent. You are not tied Thank to you. either side. 
Uh, I appreciate, therefore, your opinion. And I think it comes uh, free of partisanship. What do you see happening on election night? Well, I think uh, that a couple things will happen. Um, I think that looking at the numbers, because this is what we do, we spend a lot of time on elections, on election history, on election predictions. Not that we do the predicting, but looking at people who pretend to be doing that and the industry of elections. Mike, the reason I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat is because our organization does not believe in political parties. We follow the theory of George Washington and John Adams that our federal system should never have become an organization that is being competed for control by two political parties. They saw this coming, and they knew it would be a disaster. We forget that America was started as a nonpartisan organization. We didn't have organized political parties until the third presidential administration. And today, those parties are an industry. They are an industry that basically seeks to maintain control of the United States Congress and state capitals to control the budgets that are decided upon there. And those budgets are huge. We're looking at a $6 trillion annual budget at the federal government level, and we're talking about $30 trillion in debt. And the 535 people that are in the United States Congress get to decide how that money gets spent every year. That being the case, who do you think has more influence, the voters or the partisan interests that have a vested stake in that budget? You see, that's not what Washington wanted. That's not what John Adams wanted. They didn't want a federal government to become that administrative state that then would be competed over by parties seeking control for their own self-interest, not the interests of we, the people. We have a problem here. Now, the problem can be solved by sending people to Washington, D.C. and our state capitals that will once again represent the voters and stand for the Constitution. The parties are very easy to topple in their power. All we need is people that are willing to stand for principle over party, and we don't even need them to be a majority. They just need to be a sufficient mass that the parties can't move them. And then we have a fair fight on our hands. And I look forward to that day coming. I think there's going to be a good number of people elected on Tuesday of this year that are going to go to Congress to do just that. They will put principle over party. doesn't matter what parties their paperwork is, is registered with. They're going to put the Constitution over their party registration. That's the way you overcome the deadlock of the party power structure is you send people there who won't play the game because they get to vote and their votes matter. So it's an exciting drama that we're in the middle of, but it is a drama for the soul of the nation. And so it's significant that we do the right thing. Now, what's going to happen on Tuesday night? Well, I think that it's it, it, the narrative will be this. By, by the time we get to 10 o'clock on Tuesday night, the narrative will be, well, as anticipated, the party in the White House always loses seats in the House in the off election, and that's happened here tonight. Now, whether the difference is 23 seats or 28 seats or 32 seats, it's not going to be the kind of landslide numbers that we saw when Newt Gingrich came in in the 90s and there were seats changing in the 50s and 60s, but it will definitely change which party is in control of the leadership of the House of Representatives. There's no doubt about that, and that's significant, but it'll be diminished by the corporate media. Uh, And as far as the Senate goes, we're not going to know until Christmas. 
because there's going to be a great amount of controversy in Georgia because it, I doubt that either of the candidates in Georgia will get to a 51% margin. And Georgia's got one of those silly runoff primary rules. So we'll end up having to have two elections to get the vote in Georgia. And I think that the uh, Pennsylvania race is liable to be mired in so much controversy because Pennsylvania still has a lot of problems with their uh, ballots and, and with their voting registration. They, they've been announcing the problems they've been having for the last three, four, five years, and they just are not getting them fixed. The Democrats in control of voting in Pennsylvania won't do the right thing. The Republican legislature is trying to force them to do the right thing. We're liable to have a blow up in Pennsylvania. So we're liable to have two seats we don't know the answers to until almost Christmas. Now, unless there's a very unusual turn where four or five other races go to the Republicans, so those two races don't matter, we may not know who controls, which party controls uh, the United States Senate until almost Christmas time. So, I mean, that's not the stuff you want to hear, but I'm telling you the truth. And then now I'd be happy to be wrong, but I think that's where it's going to look. But what by 1030 is going to happen after everybody finally realizes that's the whole story, the biggest question is going to be, who's running for president in 2024? Yes. And that's the question that still catches most attention, it seems. Isn't that something? Yeah. In the media, because everyone is uh, has been for months now putting this uh, this thing out there of uh, contention between uh, former President Trump and people like our own governor here in Florida, Ron DeSantis. Uh, and DeSantis is, uh, you know, he was asked in his debate with Charlie Crist, uh, are you, can you honestly say you're not going to run? And he, he never would give an answer to that. So all of that fuels this, this thought. And it is, uh, I just heard this morning that former president Trump may make an announcement about whether or not he's going to run again a week after the midterm. So that comes out before the midterm. So even, even on the eve of midterm elections, yeah, that question is still being discussed. So do you remember um, the squirrel scene in Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase? Oh, I love it. Everybody knows the squirrel scene, right? And squirrel has become sort of the nomenclature for people that have ADHD and have a hard time staying focused. Well, Americans have the highest form of ADHD you've ever seen in the voting electorate because we can't even get into a major congressional election with results. We can't even get to the results before we're screaming squirrel because we know the next election will be for the presidency. I mean, we are so distracted by the presidency in this modern era. It's, it's actually something that is, is, is a problem that hurts us significantly. Now, this is one of the few times this election of 2022 that the American electorate has stayed focused for about 10 months on the fact that who, the, the party that controls the Congress matters, especially when you, you line it up. Right now, you've got a total control by the Democrat Party. That's happened a couple of times. That happened briefly in the Obama administration. It doesn't happen very often and almost never since World War II for the Republicans. So the Democrats have had all three basic branches of government under their party control. Now, it doesn't matter whether it would be the Republican Party or the Democrat parties. Our system wasn't designed to be controlled by a party. Our system was designed to be accountable to the people. So this is where the industrial political machine really begins to hurt the people of America, regardless of how they vote or who they're loyal to, because it becomes an elitist rule of the administrative state against everybody, and people get lost in the process. We're not supposed to be that, Mike. Well, anyhow, 
We've stayed focused for almost 10 months on Congress, for 10 months. And when people really focus on Congress and spend money to support candidates that are running and run candidates that actually want to do something, I don't care whether we're talking about left or right, when you stay focused on Congress, Congress changes. And so this is a big deal that we had an Article One election. Article One is the article where Congress appears. We've had an actual Article One election. We stayed focused for about 10 months on Congress. Wow, that's exciting. I, we won't even get the results in before squirrel is shouted across the nation. And everybody wants to know, is Joe Biden running again? Is Donald Trump coming in? Is Hillary coming in? We can't stand it. We are just so addicted to the shiny object of the presidency. So I'm guaranteeing you by 1030 on Tuesday night, all the commentators who are waiting for results from Georgia and Pennsylvania will start speculating about the presidency. It's just what we do in the modern era. It is. And you're right when you say there are a couple of other races that it seems like could tip this thing, even regardless of what happens in Georgia or what happens in Pennsylvania. Uh, what What is going on in New Hampshire is catching a lot of attention right now because sure. because they, no one ever would have believed that the race could be as tight as what that one has turned out to be. And that's a little state. It's a small state, but they, you know, when you consider the Senate, it um, it doesn't really matter. They have two votes. That doesn't matter. That's the idea. Isn't that the beauty and the blessedness of this thing? The small states each get two members of the Senate because the idea was it doesn't matter if geographically you're small. There are no small states. If you're a state in the union, you each get two votes. But we got to remember, Mike, as well, that in the beginning, we, we, we got to remember that in the beginning, people voted for Senate through their state legislatures. In the beginning, the state legislatures chose the the representation for the United States Senate to go to Washington, D.C., because the framers wanted to be absolutely certain that when someone went to the Senate, they were there representing their state, not a political party. That's why that was established that way. We changed that. We've all heard so much about the importance now of state governments, of, of governors and the roles that they play, uh, chiefly because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade and all of that being now turned back to the states. Looking at the state races, what do you see happening right there? Well, that is in and of itself that you just described it that way is great progress again, because when you have an Article One focus on the legislative branch, then the next logical connection is to look at the states, because when the federal government gets out of control, as our federal government is, $6 trillion is too big a budget, $30 trillion is too big a debt. When, when, the, when the federal government gets out of control, the system is established for states to step up and restore the balance. And so I think what we're seeing is there are a large number of movements in the states, both in the legislatures and in people running for governor, where you're seeing people saying, hey, we've got to defend ourselves against Washington, D.C. And that's a very strong understanding in our system of government. So I think you're going to see uh, that a lot of candidates and campaigns that have run basically saying we're for Florida. And we want Florida to be as strong as it can be. Even if Florida's got to stand against Washington, D.C., you're going to see a lot of those candidates and a lot of those campaigns win. You know, you've uh, talked on my program in the past about the, the race between Val Demings and Marco Rubio. Now, I, I really don't know how to call this one from what I'm hearing, but it seems like uh, the tip of the scale right now would be that Florida will escape uh, with 
Marco Rubio there. I I know you you're you're not one to <laughs> to uh, really get into the guessing game, but do you have thoughts on that particular race? Well, I think that that race will reflect the continuing development of the Flo- Florida electorate. Florida is such a fascinating state. It's so much fun to live there in this period of time because so many people are coming to Florida from so many places in the nation and the world, and they're establishing communities and deciding how they want to live and what kind of laws they want to operate under, what kind of businesses they want to promote and encourage. Florida is a developing state. And and so what we're going to see in this Senate race is a genuine reflection on what's, how Florida is changing. Is, is the Miami area really becoming so conservative that it actually begins to mitigate against Fort Lauderdale and Broward County and, and that part of the state? Is that Lee and Collier County area really becoming a, a new source of industry with a couple of million people going to be living there? What about the villages? What about Ocala and Gainesville? How does the university community uh, mitigate against or, 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 or oppose or, or balance within the whole concept of, of Gainesville versus Ocala? Uh, is Tampa really where it all is going to be decided in the I-4 corridor? All of this is going to be reflected in this election because Florida is changing. What, what is interesting about this election that's so significant is there is a strong sense of Florida wants to be a state that is independent from federal oversight, from federal interference, that there's a sense of let's be Florida for Florida. Now, how that impacts the Senate campaign, that's going to be fascinating to watch. It really will be. You know, I go back in my mind often to think about this question that you have brought up about the founders' ideas of why they weren't for this uh, concept of a two-party system, but instead voting for the people and representing the people. I go back to the election that happened in 1976 between Jimmy Carter, and uh, at that point it was uh, President Ford who was running a second one. Excellent point. That uh, that night before, I heard an analysis that comparing those two candidates, and this came of all places, Dave, from CBS TV back. I remember this because I was a weatherman at the time on a CBS station in Evansville, Indiana. And here's what they said that night. He said, if you believe in big government, then you need to vote for Jimmy Carter. If you believe government should be smaller, you'll vote for Gerald Ford. And that was the analysis. That was that came from the network news. Can you imagine that? And that particular race was decided by less than one vote per precinct in a total of about three states. I think it was Ohio, uh, Hawaii, and Virginia. That was a razor-thin margin vote, that election. And then you got exactly what that per, that prediction gave. You you saw a Carter administration come in on, in the name of the administrative state, the Woodrow Wilson vision of, of big government, and be literally drummed out of existence four years later uh, by the beginning of what was called the Reagan Revolution. Well, we're going to all get to see what happens. And that uh, prediction that you made about the Senate race, that will be something that we'll have to uh, watch as it unfolds. Dave Zanotti, it's always great to talk with you. Thank you for taking time on a busy day on this Monday to be with us. And we wish you the very best. Say hello to the rest of the crew there at the American Policy Roundtable. And thanks again for being with me, my friend. 
Thank you, Mike. It's always our privilege. Let's all remember to pray for America. Let's do. Let's pray, not just vote. Let's pray and then vote. (laughs) Okay. Dave Zanotti, I'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. Turning 65 or already on Medicare? Have you tried to compare Medicare supplement plans? Are you sick and tired of the awful TV commercials where washed-up football players confuse you even more? Speak with a licensed independent insurance agent today. Call 407-965-4166 now or visit Affordable One Insurance in Winter Park, Florida and discuss what is important for you. Be sure to ask us about dedicated senior medical centers. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. On the line with me right now for this third segment, someone I deeply appreciate and respect, Dr. Alvida King, the chairman of the Center for the American Dream at America First Policy Institute. Uh, Dr. King, welcome to my program. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Hello, everyone. You know, Alvita, when we look at the uh, day in which we are here, this is the eve of one of the biggest elections that um, we can remember. This one carries a lot of implications. I know you don't endorse particular candidates, but what I do like about what you do is that you stand strong for policies, and that's really uh, the heart of uh, really a, a letter that you've just put out that I read. It's so well done. You're, uh, you're thinking about uh, just looking at this day and the implications uh, and where you are in Georgia. There's a lot going on there, right? Absolutely. And we're taking a look at the issues and the policies, not the personalities, not necessarily the party. Uh, it'll fall towards the more conservative voter and the conservative parties right now at this date and time. However, the economy is a concern to everyone. High crime rates, a concern to everyone. Inflation, a concern to everyone. And education and life, the agenda from the womb to the tomb are in there as well. So it doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old, uh, whatever your ethnicity, there's one blood and one human race. There's, there are no separate races. So we're all in this together, and we're going to have to come together without fighting and arguing. And the best solution, really, is to pick up your Bible, read your Bible, look at your own standards and things that you desire, make a list there, and then just vote the best possible way to get as close as possible to the things that you desire. So not voting for the lesser of two evils, because who wants to vote for evil? Don't stay at home and just refuse to vote at all. Please vote so that you can make a difference. Your ballot can be part of your voice. That is so so important, isn't it? I mean, there are a lot of people who stay at home for that very reason. They look at who is available and they think, I can't vote for either one. And so therefore, I'm staying at home. And that is really the wrong wrong response, right? If you look at the policies and the issues, you can actually make a decision. You actually can. I agree. And so it might not be your best or greatest or favorite decision, but uh, it's still an opportunity 
that you want to take. And then there are other candidates all the way down. And then sometimes there are referendums and questions about your taxes and things like that. Uh, clean water, clean air, all those things are on that same ballot. So don't stay home. And if you can't write in someone, my daughter, I don't know if she really is doing that, but she said she was going to write in Jesus Christ. I said, well, um, and that's all I could say was, well, um. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is an unusual candidate right there. But, uh, you know, I, th- it's, it's so critical. It is a matter of conscience. And we need yeah. to do what is in our conscience to do. And you're a person uh, from a family of great conscience. Uh, I, I think of your dad, your own father, Reverend A.D. King. He was slain for his thoughts and his heart and his work and and the, 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 the real challenges that were facing him. And then we think of your uncle, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, my goodness, you come from a family of deep feeling, deep thinking, uh, and actively involved people. And I respect that my about grandmother, you. My grandmother, uh, Mrs. Alberta Williams King, I think is on 2B and Amazon Prime, Prime right now. There's a documentary mother of kings Mm. alberta williams king and uh so you can find out about the whole legacy of alveda king it's the king family legacy not just martin luther king so you've got my dad my granddaddy my grandmother my uncle martin luther king jr so certainly it's just time to think to pray it's pray vote pray pray before then vote and then pray again tell us a little bit about the american first policy institute well, I'm the chairman. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm the chairman of the Center for the American Dream at America First Policy Institute. And we are discovering, especially during this election cycle, that the concerns of America are very, Americans are very similar, regardless to your, whether you're male, female, young, old, black, white, Democrat, Republican, Latino, Hispanic, Asian American, Native American, all, all of the ethnicities. We're concerned about the absolute same thing. And we're in pursuit of the American dream for everyone. Regardless of color, regardless of race, regardless of background, and regardless of financial condition. I yeah, mean, because there's only one human race. That's right. One blood, one human race. There's only one race. We, we seem to have forgotten that in some uh, regards, right? And it's written in the Bible of one blood, God made all people. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I know. So we do forget. We forget. Uh, we forget, and it's so sad that we do. Uh, I know that your time is limited in this segment, but I did want to ask you uh, your viewpoints on this race that's going on uh, in the state of Georgia. Uh, uh, again, not looking at people, but at the, at the electorate that's there. It looks like Georgia could be facing one of the biggest turnout of election history, right? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely. Herschel Walker is my friend, but I would not say that I would vote for Herschel because he's my friend, but I agree with all the policies that he's talking about. I don't endorse candidates. I just pray. But that's just a good example for me. I take a look at both candidates, and then I go ahead and vote according to uh, those issues that mean so much to me. So this is an important race. I'm urging everyone to just look, check your own issues, your own policies, your own values, and just vote accordingly. Blessedly, I can say that my friend's policies align with mine. Yes. Now, the, on that subject, I have a good friend in the Orlando area who told me once 
that he voted for a certain candidate at one point, not going to get into names, but that he voted for him because of the color of his skin. And yeah, some people have done that. And uh, But this time in the Senate race in Georgia, they're both African-American men. So that part of the equation isn't there. That's but right. But not because of skin color, because you like somebody. Those are not the reasons that you vote. You look at the issues and align with the issues and the policies. Every time you need to do that, regardless of uh, your ethnicity, your political party, your young, old, male, female, all of that, none of that. Just go ahead with the policies and the issues. What are you seeing happen now for you in the last of this year as we're kind of winding down 2022? What's ahead for you, Alvita? Well, I am a producer on the documentary about my grandmother, Mother of Kings, and um, I'll be working on that. We've got a great soundtrack coming out with that, headed up by Bob Manchurian. I, I am a, an associate producer. I, somebody has included me in a new children's book, all of that. I'll still be at AFPI working hard for the Center for the American Dream. I've got my new show on Fox and our Fox Nation, Alveda King's House. And in December, we'll have another episode. So go to Fox Nation and look for Alveda King's House. Has that been a fun thing for you to be a part of it, something like it that? It has been. It has been and remains a fun thing because I get to cook, talk to my <laughs> friends about issues. Sometimes my family joins me. It's amazing. You know, you're a person that I just love to see all of the ways that you're involved and the different opportunities that God has opened up for you. Uh, I know that uh, chief among all of them is just your work in the ministry and your love for the Lord. Thank you for being an example of someone that people can follow. Thank you for that. Thank you for this beautiful opportunity. God bless everybody. Get out there and vote, folks. All right. Alvita King, God bless you. A big thank you to both Dave Zanotti and Dr. Alvita King for being with me on the program. We've got just enough time to hear an important thought from Al Mohler. I love this man, as you know, and uh, try to feature him as often as I can. He has a daily podcast called The Briefing, and you can find it at albertmohler.com. Here is Albert Mohler speaking about this big election midterm elections 2022. And I think most Americans are probably going to be glad that Election Day will eventually be over and eventually the results will be in. And if nothing else, that means that there will be at least a temporary pause in the avalanche of television ads and other sorts of messages that have simply been a barrage on the American people, particularly in some of the most important critical states over the course of the last several months. This has been a record-breaking campaign, record-breaking in terms of the amount of advertising, record-breaking in terms of the amount of money spent on this election. We'll look at that in retrospect after the election's over, and we'll have some more information so that we can speak on more finalized data. But at this point, it's really clear that just about everyone in the United States knows that the election is happening, and we can only hope that Americans will go out to the polls and vote, although tens of millions have already voted one way way or another in terms of early voting opportunities. 
But it's also interesting that even with so much at stake, and we're going to talk about that in terms of the election, it is also true that politics remains a favorite parlor sport of sorts for many Americans. It is also a bit of the oxygen on which the major media will feed. And it's also, by the way, when it comes to the major media, a major source of their income because of advertising. In the old age, that was radio and newspapers, television, but now, of course, vast millions and indeed billions of dollars spent in terms of digital advertising as well. There is virtually nowhere in the United States of America where you have been safe in recent months, not just to say in recent days and hours, from this absolute avalanche of advertising and messaging. We'll be looking at that also in retrospect once we have a clearer view of the election. But right now, let's look in prospect. Let's look forward. What is going to be happening? First of all, as we are thinking about the midterm elections, more than half of the governorships are up for election. And that's also interesting because we're talking about the midterm elections. That means the two-year elections between presidential elections. Now, why would that be the case? 36 of the 50 governorships are up in this midterm election cycle. Why would that be so? Well, the easiest answer is this. It would be even less practical to consider that a majority of governorships would be open at the same time that you have a presidential election cycle. The presidential election cycle understandably uses up so much of the oxygen in the entire system, it would be very, very difficult to have all those gubernatorial elections at the same time. Now, there's about a third of the Senate up every two years because the Senate terms are six years and they are now staggered so that roughly one third of the Senate comes up every two years. That's also a big challenge. But when it comes to governorships, again, 36 are on the ballot this midterm election. They include the governorships of Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, lots of M's up for election, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Mexico, New York, lots of new governors perhaps, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, Wisconsin, and don't leave out Wyoming. Now, some of those include incumbents running for re-election, and in the main, as you're looking at the incumbency, it is a huge political advantage. But we're also looking at the fact that some of these states are just incredibly predictable in terms of being either red or blue. You usually don't have to stay up late trying to figure out which party is going to win the Texas governor's seat. And even though it's in the interest of the media to try to make every race look like a close race, it's unlikely that at the end of the day, Texas will be all that close just because of voter registration. You can always hear his briefings on albertmoeller.com. It is called The Briefing, and it can be delivered to your email inbox every morning. Highly recommend it. That's all my time for today. Don't forget, be sure and plan to vote tomorrow. That's Tuesday, November 8th for this big midterm election. Until next time, Mike Gilland here with Afternoons with Mike on The Shepherd.